where we have been so far, and I hope you've been here, and, and if you haven't been here yet, I'm excited to see you. But we've been going through the story of Joseph, and in Genesis 43, we're going to see this story continue. Now, if you remember previously in this story, what has happened is um, is Joseph's brothers went down, they got grain. Joseph sees them and is like, hey, you bunch of losers. Like, who are you? Um, and, and he's kind of gruff with them, but he gives them grain, and then he gives them their money back. And they go back to the land, and they don't realize they have their money until they stop and get to camp. And then we get to chapter 43, and, and, and we're going to see the story continue um, in another fascinating way, and, and it, to me at least. Um, Jacob and his sons, or Israel and his sons, um, if he's going by both names, which how cool would that be? But he's going on, and, and they're, their family, their, their clan, runs out of food again. So here they are in the middle of this famine. Um, they don't have food, and they're going to have to go back to Egypt to get more food. This is what's happening in chapter uh, 43. And the brothers, they were not fond of the first time when they had to go down to Egypt to get food. And here they are, and, and Jacob comes back to them and is like, boys, we need food again. And the brothers are sitting there like, ah, we don't want to go. And they're sitting there, and they're like, Dad, last time, last, time we went down to, last time we went down to Egypt, the guy who was in charge, he was mean to us. He was a jerk to us. He, he, it says in quotes, he spoke gruffly to us. Um, like, he, he was not a friendly man. He didn't like us. He accused us of being spies and, and all this sort of thing. Oh, and uh, also, they took our brother Simeon captive, so he's sitting in prison right now in Egypt. And who knows if he's going to take another one. Oh, and by the way, the guy in charge said that if we come back, uh, we have to take the only son that you really like, your youngest, Benjamin, with us. And Jacob, or Israel, is broken in this moment. In, 40, in verse 6 of chapter 43, it says, Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? Why did you treat me? Can you imagine your father looking at you and saying, why did you treat me so badly? Talk about a heart-wrenching moment. When you as a son or a child have to sit there and hear your, your father say, why did you treat me badly? Why did you tell that I had another son? And the brothers are sitting there and they say, no, 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 dad, look, you don't get it. Like, like what we did was we just talked about it. And then he was, the guy in charge was sitting there and he was like, uh, well, what you need to do is, and he like asked all these questions and questions and questions. They're like, Dad, we had nothing. He just kept asking us these things over and over and over again. But the thing is, they were hungry, and if they didn't go to Egypt to get food, they were going to continue to be hungry. So they don't really have any good options at this point. Either send Benjamin with the brothers or starve. Thankfully, Judah stood up and was like, hey, um, don't worry. I'll guide Benjamin. I'll be by his side. We'll fight off evil. I imagine like him like stepping a heroic step up and like, I bet he didn't do that. I bet he was actually scared out of his mind. But he essentially says, look, if anything happens to Benjamin, it's on me. I'll take all the blame. It's, it's sort of like a more held accountable moment. And then Jacob's like, all right, he was a jerk to you last time. Here are all these gifts. Here's this big old gift that you're going to give to him, and hopefully he'll be kind to you and won't kill all of you. Then we get to verse 15. So the men took this present, the brothers, and they took double the money with them. They took double the money. And Benjamin, so Benjamin's going with them, which I, I feel weird saying my own name. Just like anyone who's named Benjamin, it's just, I can't say it well. Um, anyways, they arose and went down to Egypt 
and stood before Joseph. Now here they are, the brothers. They come and stand before their next to youngest brother. They have no idea who he is. And just like before, Joseph handles this, starting in verse 16. He says, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, bring them in in the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told and brought the men into the house. And in verse 18, and the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. They said it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we were brought in. All right. So they're sitting here, and, and they go in, and, and they are invited into this house. Can you imagine being the brothers in this moment? Last time you were there in Egypt, you were treated roughly. One of your brothers was taken as a prisoner. Um, you're treated like, hey, you're never welcome to come back to this place ever again. And here they come. They come back. They bring their youngest brother this time. Oh, and by the way, it appeared that they stole their money back last time and got their food for free. And they get back to the second highest command in Egypt. And they walk in, and his reaction is, why don't you come eat a meal with me? It's morning time right now, but at noon, we're going to sit down and have a meal. Join us. And their immediate reaction is like, what on earth? It's not a, it's not a sense of, 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 let's go, baby. It's a sense of like, we're going to get executed. Like, it's going to feed us, get us fat, and then like, destroy us, slaughter us, make us look like cows and pigs who are out here to, to devour. They were suddenly very nervous. And they looked at the steward, jo Joseph's servant, who's out in front, who meets him, and they're like, hey, like, we seriously did not mean to take that money. And he's like, no, man. Like, guys, look at this. It's all good. Like, everything's going fine. Like, like, we're all, it's no big deal at all. Like, we know that was not on purpose. Everything is going well. Oh, and, and then they give Simeon back to us. Simeon's brought out of prison. So if you're, the brothers at this point, like, total change of heart has happened leading up to this point. And they present the gifts to Joseph, and Joseph saw Benjamin after asking who, who, how their father was. And after Joseph saw Benjamin, he's just like, <laughs> gotta cry. And so he goes back into his back room and cries his face off. And which is just like, like can you imagine the second command in Egypt just going to cry randomly? Anyways, um <laughs> that guy's another guy I want in charge. But he was, he was a good leader. Um but then they sit down to eat, and Benjamin gets five times the amount of food. One, what a fatty. Two, lucky guy. <laughs> Three, you got to imagine being a brother at this moment, thinking, why on earth is Benjamin getting double the amount of food that we are getting? Here's the thing. Joseph, in these moments, and I, I want us to look for instances on how we can take this story, and I know we didn't read it because... To read it would be, and I'm not going to say tedious, but for us to sit here in a classroom and just read through the story could take a while. But Joseph in these moments is looking for a way to build a relationship with his brothers before he reveals to his brothers who he actually is. In this moment, it, it, it's one of these things, Joseph is trying to build this relationship so he doesn't just walk out and say, hey boys, I'm Joseph, remember me? Last time they interacted, his brothers were selling him as a slave, and he's not just going to pop out and say, hey, do you remember who I am? He's going to build this relationship with them. And I think that what Joseph is doing in this situation is what we as Christians should be doing every single day. 
when we profess Christianity, it's time to go on a mission. And I know, like, like you guys are like, man, we hear that. Like, we get that. That is, that's like a common thing. Um, like, that's what Christianity is, right? It's this idea of, like, like, you wake up, you go out, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, go into all the world. Like, that's what the goal of a Christian is, right? It's go on a mission. We've heard this idea. But, and, and then I've actually said that before in this classroom in my short, when did I start here? January? Since January, I've said this statement before because this is our idea. But what I want us to do tonight is sit here and break down a way that Joseph went about his mission. A way Joseph went about his mission that, that we are going to be able to apply to our walk. See, Joseph had a mission as well in this moment, and it was to influence his brothers in a positive way. And here they are, 20 years after, and Joseph doesn't just take a step out and say, I am Joseph. Instead of making a big reveal, he decides to build a new relationship with them. It's 20 years after they sold him into slavery, they're still haunted by this fact that they sold their brother into slavery. Their father's broken over it. They're reminded of that every single day. And Joseph saw that it was going to be beneficial to build a relationship with them. If all we do is sit here and tell people we're Christians, and, and you guys, this is not a new statement to a lot of you. If all we do is we're like, hey, 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 I'm a Christian, like, listen to everything I had to say, people aren't going to look at us at all as spiritual leaders. And so when we decide to build a relationship with somebody on a deeper level, on that next level, that is going to be infective, effective. Um, now, what we're about to go, I have on here, like, invite people into our homes. Um, you guys are not able to, like, be like, hello, family, come over to my house for dinner tonight. So, like, this might not be, like, super effective to you. I ate lunch with Drew and his dad, and, like, so Drew's already heard this stat. Um, don't spoil it. Um, but, like, but, but we, you can't invite people into your homes. But think about it. Start putting it away for, like, future thought, and, uh, and, and we'll think through it together. But back in February, the elders and deacons and ministers here went to free for a leadership conference and uh and it was like the leadership of a church like how to lead a church um and and we went over there and listened to a lot of people and there was one guy who spoke who who really stood out to me um and his idea was on the on the point of, of bringing new people into the church um and how to make conversions and one thing that he started talking about was how to bring people like like it, what works is bringing people in to your home. And there was a stat that he gave that blew my mind. When we as Christians invite people into our homes with the goal of, of saying, I'm going to be a spiritual influence to them and I will eventually try my best to, to get them to become a Christian. When you invite a non-Christian into your home for a meal with the intention of converting them, there's a 25% chance that those people will put on Christ in baptism. A 25% percent chance. That means that one out of every four, for those of you, I love percentages. 25% is like the easiest, besides like 10%. 25%, um, one out of every four people that will get invited to your home, or families that will get invited to your home, will decide, you know what? I think I want to become a Christian. I don't know about you guys, but that's that blew me away. 
When I sat there and heard that stat, I was, I was like, I almost like threw myself back against the wall. I was floored. I was like, wow, that's incredible. But something he said that stuck out to me that was super interesting, he made the point that in that first visit, they don't try to evangelize at all. And that first visit, the first time they invite someone into their home, their only goal is to get to know them and to, like Joseph, build a relationship with them. And 25% of the time, those people will become a Christian. Now, like I said, we can't sit here and, and necessarily, I say you guys who are in high school, can't be like, come eat dinner at my house. You can, of course, invite people to your home. But we can't be like, you know, come over, like, we'll eat dinner, like, I'll cook a meal for you, which if you do that, that would be awesome. Um, invite me first. Uh, at the test run, of course, at the test run. Um, I'm, I'm always down to eat food. Um, especially if it's Chick-fil-A. You can make Chick-fil-A at your house. Woo! I'm there. Uh, anyways. <laughs> Let's get an amen. The first ever amen I've ever gotten is from somebody amening Chick-fil-A. <laughs> But what I want us to think about this evening is how can we build relationships that lead to conversions? How can we build relationships that lead to conversions? Now, some of these are going to be like, okay, duh, that makes sense, that's easy, like, I'm trying to do that anyways, and like, I'm there. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I've heard that before. That's fine. What I want us to do is break down a few of these ways that, that I sat down today um, with, with Joseph and Becca in the office. And I was like, presented them with this question. I was like, let's go through it. And we come up, came up with a few things. Um, and if they're awful, Joseph came up with them. And they're like, that's a good point. Becca and I came up with them. Um, <laughs> boom, roasted on Joseph. Actually, just kidding. He's awesome. Um, but starting out basic, be a good example by representing Christ well. Um, Christ will become evident in our life. If Christ becomes evident in our life, people are going to notice that. If people see you each day and they're sitting there and they're, they're kind of at a point of like, do I want to believe in God or do I not want to believe in God? And they see you walking through each day, are they going to be somebody where they see you and they're like, that person makes me believe that God exists? The way that person lives, lives their life makes me believe that God exists. And when I believe that God exists because of that person, do you know what I want to do? I want to be close to them. I want to build a relationship with them. Matthew 7, 12 is the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you guys. If we want to be somebody who have others around us walk like Jesus walked, follow the scripture as close as they can, we have to be people who lead by that example as well. Another thing that I think is really neat, we have to initiate time together. Um, when you initiate time with somebody, it shows you care about them. And I know we're running really short on time, um, and I'm super sad about that. Um, but Luke chapter 13, and, uh, and maybe we'll just have to finish this at another date, um, maybe next week. Uh, but Luke chapter 13, verse 10 says, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Jesus is sitting there teaching. Jesus is, is up there in the temple, and, and he, or the synagogue, did it say synagogue? He was, yeah, he was in the synagogue, and he's standing there teaching the people. And when he sees this woman, 
he goes over. When Jesus saw her, he called her over. Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight. And she glorified God. You know what Jesus did here? Jesus didn't see somebody and wait for them to come up to him. What Jesus did is he saw somebody in need. He, he, he initiated the conversation with them. And they came over. And because of that, they were healed. Do we care enough about people to initiate the conversation with them? Because... Let's be honest, when somebody initiates a conversation with you, it shows that that person cares. Very similar is pursuing those people. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but this idea of how much time are you chasing after them. If you're in a relationship with a significant other, you're giving all your time to that person to try to make them love you. Um, that's Don't take that concept. When you're, spend, you're spending all this time with people because you're caring about this relationship with them, right? To make them love you. <laughs> That's not my philosophy at all. <laughs> Someone threw it up a minute ago, okay? I'm, I'm struggling. No. Um, <laughs> but, but you pursue them in order to make them understand that you want... We're going to move on. Right? <laughs> Some of them really sweaty. All right, all right. Sorry for the distraction. Um, maybe it's treating people with love. Maybe it's when you go and you say to someone, maybe when you invite someone to your home or you invite someone to go out to eat with you or you initiate that conversation at that time when they're talking, you're not sitting there on your phone or, or you're not sitting there talking over them and you actually are taking the time to listen, to build that relationship. Maybe it's who you are in the public eye on social media. Um, David Shannon was very passionate, like, I'm going to have a social media account, like, like, this was before he was president of Free, before he needed to market himself. But like, when he was a preacher, like, he was like, I'm having a social media account. Like, all it's doing is talking about other people. That's, that's, uh, he wanted to build relationships that way. Having the heart of a servant, Jesus washed feet and built relationships with people by being a servant. We must build relationships if we want to bring people to Christ. We can't be the person who just automatically stands up and screams, like, I'm Joseph! I'm on top of the world. We must be the people who work our way into the hearts of others. I want to end by telling you guys, how many of you have read this book? Has anyone read this book? There was a movie that came out. Has anyone seen the movie? Okay. Something that I recommend you guys doing, and like, I'm not kidding about this, I'm not normally like, go read this book. When people read this book, like when I read this book, it changed my mindset on things. When I know other people have read this book, it changed their mindset on things. Um, it's called Same Kind of Different as Me. Don't watch the movie, read the book, because I've heard the movie isn't great. Um, there was a guy named Ron, Ron Hall. Dude, salesman, works his way up. He was selling soup to become an art salesman. Filthy rich, massive ranch in Texas. Bought his wife a Rolls Royce, all these type of things. I mean, this guy, and you know, Rolls Royce, 400 grand, like just drops it for his wife. Um, and, and so, good old Ron Hall makes a ton of money. And his wife looks at him and says, Hey, Ron, you know what I think we should do is go downtown and work at the homeless shelter each week, once a week. And by the way, this is a true story, it's not, not made up. And he's like, I don't want to, but honey, he's pursuing that relationship. Um, <laughs> but he goes on and he says, fine, I'll do it. And they start going every single Tuesday to this homeless shelter. 
There's another guy who, who's another part of the story named Denver Moore. He was born in Louisiana where he worked as a sharecropper, which was essentially a modern-day slavery in the 50s, where you got paid to work on the land, but essentially they said, we're going to lend you the land. And then he was essentially a modern-day slave. And he finally said, you know what? Forget this life. I'm going to Texas, which... <laughs> Baby Crockett. Um, but he hops on a train and goes straight to Texas um, and very quickly while in Texas becomes homeless. And he's at this shelter where Ron Hall and Debbie Hall, two super rich people, are serving this food. And Debbie has a goal of befriending Denver. And they build this relationship and they're talking and Ron starts building this relationship and they get to a point where these two people Ron and Denver and Debbie, these three people, have become best friends. And then Debbie died. And the two closest friends in the world were this homeless dude and this super rich art dealer. Because what happened was Debbie Hall decided what we're going to do is we're going to go down to the homeless shelter and be more than people who just dump food on a plate. We're going to make relationships. They created a relationship that changed someone's life. Are we going to choose in our Christian walk to make relationships with people that are going to change their life? Let's pray together.